It was really funny for many years in our marriage. We didn't have a television. We got used to like all of our free time. We just talked and that's just stuck 20 years later. When I count the number of hours we just talk during a week, it's huge. Hmm. (laughs) And a lot of it's just logistics, but a lot of it's too like this bigger order, like priorities, you know, here's something that's come up in our lives. How do we feel about it? Where does it fit in the order of priorities? What do we want to do? Um, so Christian's biggest challenge with me is I say yes to everything. And I had to learn to stop doing that. I, well, I am still learning to stop doing that. Um, <laughs> that just, li- just like what he said, my decisions affect the whole family. So if something comes up and I'm like, hey, that's really cool. I'd like to be a part of it. I cannot just say yes. I have to tell that person, hey, give me a week or two. And I'm going to talk to my husband about that. We're going to talk about what that would mean for us. And it might involve like, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, what am I going to give up? Or what else has to give, right, to make that work? Okay, let's do this. This is Jeff. I'm Andre. Are you ready? I'm ready. Love or work. Is anyone listening? No, don't put that on the air. These two people are really, really funny. This one made me cry. World Series champion. Around the entire world. NBA all-star. We hope you love this interview as much as we did. Love or work. Welcome to the Love or Work podcast. This is Andre. (laughs) This is Jeff. What do you think? I felt I like I know. could take over. I felt, you know, you hadn't been with me. I felt like I could just like jump in and give it a try. Yeah, I think we can just stay in our lanes. Go ahead. I mean, it was kind of, it was a little cheesy. Oh my gosh, you're so mean. <laughs> well, no, it's cool. Start us off. We can mix it up. Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. And we are on a two-year journey, maybe three years, we'll see, of unpacking this idea. Is it possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? I so am rolling my eyes at you, but you would not let me start it. No, you did start it. Okay, but like, just go with it. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We have another fun podcast Today. If you didn't learn anything today already, just go with it. Just go with it. Yeah. There is going to be a time when I say something and you give me that look. I've given it to you already like three times. Just, just go with it. in the last just go with it. Just go with it. Just go with it. <laughs> We're going to integrate this. Just go with it. Are we ready? Can just I go. say who is being interviewed today? Of course. Okay. Today we have Brooke and Christian Hempel and they are very, very high ups in the big world of, of VIPs. No, senior vice president of loyalty and partnerships with Intercontinental Hotel Group. That's Which Christian. in short means he gets to stay at the best hotels in the world. Probably. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I've been at one, but that would be cool. And the other one is Brooke, who is senior vice president of research for Barna Group which mm-hmm. is the research group that we partnered with to put on this whole project. Yeah, I remember the first time we met with her and told her what we were ta- doing. And she looked at me and looked at you and said, yeah, I want to do it. And we were like, why? And she's like, because this is my story. Yeah, and she felt the same tension. Yeah. Yeah, felt the same thing going on. Yeah, so it's exciting to have them. This is just a precursor now. We're not going to share everything. No. From our research. No. But today, there's three things you should listen for. Yes. The first is the first time these two met, all I'm going to say is business card. Yes. 498 left. 498. Number two, if you have to travel for work, we're going to get some tips from Christian. Yeah. On how to yeah. do that well with integrity, all those types of things. And third, you're going to get the first data point that we have released exclusively on our research today. <laughs> it sounds so It sounds so big. It's so, today, so big. Listen, today only. You are going to hear the first data point. Oh my lord. Of the rest of your life. Okay, nerd. Here we right are. There. We're going to share one thing we learned from the research. Actually, Brooke's going to share it. And uh, I think many people listening will probably relate with it. Yes, so here we go. Today we have Brooke and Christian Hempel. Just go with it. Brooke and I met at the hotel school at Cornell. Uh, I was in my senior year. She was in her sophomore year. Um, but the quick version is we actually met in the lobby of the Weston Peachtree the summer before, where she was an intern and I was an intern. Um, and as we walked up, as I walked up to the front desk, 
I recognized her and she looked familiar. And we realized that we both were at the same school, just a couple years apart. And so um, we exchanged pleasantries. I gave her my card, which she thought was quite cheesy, but I had 498 <laughs> left. So I had to get rid of them before the end of the internship. Uh, and I walked away thinking, I've got to take her out for coffee because we're going to go back to school in a few weeks. And so long story short, um, took us a few weeks to reconnect um, back in campus. Brooke was really busy. I was, I was busy. Um, and then we started connecting and we realized we had a lot in common. We're the same personality type. We have the same birthday. We're both May 1. Ah. Um, we have very much um, similar view on many things. And so I think the connection was kind of uh, uh, instantaneous and she was really cute. So that, that helped. Um, and then, but that's a little bit where, you know, our faith journey comes in where I realized that what I thought was a lot of similarities turned out to be a lot more differences. Um, I had a pretty strong faith uh, in, in, uh, in Jesus and in God, Brooke, not the same. Um, and so it was our conversations that led her to start asking a lot of questions and make assumptions or question assumptions that she hadn't had before. And then, um, and so that's how our relationship grew um, as she was going through her journey about what did she believe about God and faith and the implications of that on life and career and calling and marriage and all those things. So, um, so my interest in her was both um, ensuring that she was answering those right questions the way she thought, and then hoping she answered them in a way that allowed us to continue to spend time together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, I graduated within six weeks uh, of those, those meetings. So early in December of 95 and she stayed on for two and a half years. We dated long distance from Los Angeles and Ithaca, New York. And, um, and then she came out to LA after graduating. We engaged shortly thereafter and then married February, 1999, which was 20 years ago. We celebrated this year. So a big milestone. Oh, 20 years. That's huge. I know. So here's the funny thing behind that, um, and it pertains directly to this whole idea of love or work, love and work, um, is that I grew up in the South and I didn't consider myself very much of a Southerner. So I go to New York to school and I'm like, this is awesome. I know what I want to do for my career. I am going. And I was going. And suddenly I meet this guy after one year and I'm like, whoa, hold on. Like that, that's not even in my picture. I mean, I would date casually, but it was so bizarre that when he walked up to the front desk, when we first introduced ourselves, um, I literally had this thought pop in my head of, I think I'm going to marry this guy. Wow. And that was something that never, ever would have popped into my head. So yeah. it was really like from above, not from my own heart. Yeah. And then I denied it and denied it and was like, no way, no way, no way. Um, so for, for us to then date for six weeks and me to come around and be like, I care enough about the, the potential here that we're going to date long distance for two and a half years. And I am potentially going to redirect my career because that, that's a possibility here um, to make this work was like earth shattering for me. So that's how we started our relationship was all about this dynamic of what does it mean to commit? What, mm. what are we going to have to sacrifice to make this work? And do we care enough to do that? Wow. Yeah. Some hard so, questions right our- there. Our story of love, uh, we're only in year 20 out of 50, so we're not even halfway done yet. Um, but we've seen um, us grow together and um, as a team living in L.A. Then I went to school in Boston for business school. We then moved to London for three years and then have been here in Atlanta for about 13. And um, the story continues. And I know that's the evolution that we're exploring here. But um, um, I married up in so many ways. Uh, and, um, it is, it is, it is a blessing and a joy to have a life partner to do these things with. I, I can say for sure, I would not be anything that I am if it wasn't for my marriage to Brooke. Um, and I think similarly, I enable her to do what she is best called and gifted to do. So I have a question. I mean, it's definitely starting. You guys are very both career driven, mm-hmm. have been that mindset, um, how did that then play a role in the next big decision about children or not having children? Like, was that a big struggle for you to get to that place? Or were you just like, well, I already got married. Here we go. You know? <laughs> um, no. So when we got married, 
I, I think we talked about it, but not a lot, but enough for me to say, Hey, I don't know if I want kids. Mm-hmm. Like already this whole marriage thing was something I wasn't prepared for. <laughs> um, and I had grown up, uh, my, my own experience growing up was my mother got sick when I was very young. So I actually raised my brothers. And so I was like, Hey, I did that. I don't want to do that again. Yeah. Um, so I was not convinced that that was in my path. And Christian was praying and hoping that I would change my mind. Um, just trusting that, you know, all along. And so, you know, we got married knowing that that, that was unresolved. Um, and, and like you said, we, we lived in a number of different places. We had some amazing experiences and we enjoyed just, just being with each other and getting to know each other and growing together for a number of years. And about uh, six, seven years in, we began to get the sense of feeling a little jaded. Um, we were living in London at the time and it was a total blast. Like everything was close by and we got lots of vacations. So we traveled like mad. We had a you know wonderful time exploring the world. And, um, when we were about in our seventh year of marriage, we were in Thailand at this amazing resort. And I was just sitting there going, um, it's just like a lot of amazing resorts. Like it's kind of not that great. This isn't really as fulfilling as I thought it would be. And that was when the light kind of came on and we were like, I think in order to continue to enjoy life and to grow as people, like we got to add to this marriage. <laughs> mm. So that was how we kind of said, all right, I think we're going to, you know, take the plunge and have kids. Oh, that's a big, uh, big plunge to be like, you're not really sure if you really want to have kids. And then you're like, no, I need to grow. So I'm going to have kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. I could probably like make up a lot of other excuses of ways to grow. Myself. Get a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> I could have gotten a hobby. Exactly. Sure. That didn't include children. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So then, so now you have, is it, two, you have two children? Is that right? We have two. Okay. Yeah. And they're how old? They're 12 and nine. 12 and so nine. they're moving into independence very rapidly. Um, and that's been awesome. We're grateful for that. Gosh, they've changed us so much. Oh my goodness, Mm. how much we've seen and our eyes have just seen things differently because of our kids. It's checked our own priorities so many times. It's just, it's so worth it. And I couldn't put my finger on that. It's different to take care of kids versus to be a parent. Right. It's a different, a really different dynamic that just changes everything. Well, I remember the first time I talked to the two of you guys about this project. I don't know if you guys remember it or not, but I remember it very clearly. We were at a um, event at the, I think it was like the uh, History Museum. History Center. Yeah, you remember that? Center. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. you had told me this concept about how as your kids start getting more and more involved in things, and you guys are more and more involved in things, and you have a church, and you have work, and you have all these different places where you have to be related to time, that there's like some scenarios where there's friends in multiple areas of similarity. Yeah. It's our overlapping circles. Overlapping circles. Can you explain that concept? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the trick is you get your concentric circles very tight. So your work, your home, your school, your church, your neighborhood that you love, you know, if you like to travel, your ease to get to the airport, to the extent you can just, you know, densify um, and, and have everything as proximate as reasonable that's how you can thrive. That's the benefit of a big city, right? Um, we love cities. We love urban density. And that is the advantage of it. But if you live in a city full of traffic and congestion and busyness, and then you're spread out all over the place with one school here, one school there, church in the South, friends in the, like, it, it frays you. It frazzles you. And so I feel like we've been blessed that pretty much all of our life was in a two-mile radius, with the exception of my work. Uh, but that's a 15 minute drive in the morning and 30 minutes in the afternoon, which is like not needed. So I can kind of make my transitions. And so that, that engineering, so to speak, that planning, um, we find is, um, is where we can enjoy, we can make the most use of our time here. Um, and that's both practical and philosophical. But that's, I mean, that's a decision that we made, right? So we, we wanted to live in an area that's close to our school and our Mm. church. And, and for me, for work, I had the option of, opening an office. So I said, it has to be like a mile from my house because I'm going to need to go back and forth. And in order for me to do this, um, to be able to have, you know, this role and, um, also have a family and and be involved in their lives, I've got to be able to get back and forth to see them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I like that. I mean, it's definitely like these intentional decisions that we have to kind of make in every different phase and stage of life, especially as the kids, like you were saying, have more and more activities and more and more things as they get older. You know, it's, mm-hmm. you'll just naturally. You can't get to well, all those things. Yeah, I know. Well, you'll just yeah. also like follow the inertia or whatever that is. Like mm-hmm. you're right. just going to follow the cycle and all of a sudden you're chaotic and everywhere and you don't know how you got there because you're just following it versus really being like making intentional decisions about your family. I wouldn't underemphasize that at all. It's all about how do you make the right decisions? Do you understand the implications of your decisions? And you understand that they're all connected to each other. So if our daughter decides to do a sport or an activity that will impact her, her brother, Brooke, myself and others around us. You know, so I tend to be quite um, explicit about let's fully understand the implication. And then once we make a decision, we're going to stick to it. We're going to commit to it. And we have to demonstrate that to our children. Um, but I think sometimes we, we almost make decisions too flippantly or you don't fully count the cost of what is it going to mean to do this. Conversely, making decisions is a wonderful way to plan and to know this is the playbook we're writing um, and this is what we're doing. And so life is about decisions, making them understanding them, sticking to them. Uh, and then we model that out with our kids. So we, we tend to not be flaky. Like if we're committing to something, we will. And we insist on that with our children as well. So I'm going to do a follow-up question on that because both of you guys, you have teams, you both like have people that report to you. You have, uh, you're, you know, busy people and also leaders within your companies and so then how do the two of you make decisions together? Cause I have a mm-hmm. feeling in most scenarios, Andre jokes with me about this. Like I have a team that does what I say needs to get done. So, but that's not going <laughs> to operate that and way. And then he in our shows house, up you know? to our meeting expecting the same <laughs> dynamic. For so, some you know, reason it just, doesn't work. I don't way. know why, you know, that he just <laughs> thinks that he's my boss too, but you know, whatever. That's uh, funny. So uh, how um, do you guys, uh, how do you guys go through decision-making together? There's a lot of talking and Mm. it was really funny for many years in our marriage. We didn't have a television. We got used to like all of our free time. We just talked and that's just stuck 20 years later. When I count the number of hours, we just talk during a week. It's huge. Mm. (laughs) And a lot of it's just logistics, but a lot of it's too like this bigger order, like priorities. You know, here's something that's come up in our lives. How do we feel about it? Where does it fit in the order of priorities? What do we want to do? Um, so Christian's biggest challenge with me is I say yes to everything. And I had to learn to stop doing that. I, well, I am still learning to stop doing that. Um, <laughs> that just, li- just like what he said, my decisions affect the whole family. So if something comes up and I'm like, hey, that's really cool. I'd like to be a part of it. I cannot just say yes. I have to tell that person, hey, give me a week or two. And I'm going to talk to my husband about that. We're going to talk about what that would mean for us. And it might involve like, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, what am I going to give up? Or what else has to give, right, to make that work? And so that's like a negotiation that we are having all the time. And the amazing thing about, you know, the way that we have um, got into this rhythm of understanding each other's callings to our work is that you know, Christian really respects and supports what I'm doing in my work, feels like I'm called to do it. Um, so if there's something that's pulling me, you know, to, to spend more time or more energy in a certain area and it fits with that calling, he will say, well, let's figure out how we can make that work, right? What do we need to do to organize around that? Um, but that's a discussion we've got to have and a decision we've got to make together because it affects everyone in the family. I would add to that. It's um, <clears throat> how do you say no to good things? Mm-hmm. or the flip side is too many good things are bad. <laughs> and, and literally if you're, if you have no margin, uh, no buffer, um, you know, life isn't perfectly uh, choreographed. I wish it were down to the minute, uh, but it's not. And so we find ourselves constantly. And again, this is a, a, a blessing um, uh, of, of abundance, but so many people want us to do things with them for them, uh, on their behalf, there's so many interesting things to do in the world, you know, but if you went to every activity at every museum and theater, if you went to everything at the school, every social, I mean, it just, it, you have to learn how to say no to good things and genuinely be okay with that without any guilt. Um, and, and, and know why, because you're saying yes to 
even better things, or and it's not like good or better. It's just the, the good things that are uh, kind of aligned with your core purpose, aligned with your season of life, aligned with um, what has the most good, maybe not just for you, but for the family or the wider community. Um, and that's really hard, uh, you know, for both of us, but, you know, maybe for Brooke a little more so. Um, I'm okay saying no. Did you struggle, Brooke, with like a lot of guilt and a lot of... I did struggle. Yeah. A little bit of guilt, a little bit more like, um, like I genuinely get enthusiastic about everything. So I really <laughs> want to be a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a little like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to totally miss up before FOMO was a thing. I mean, I, I you, had it, it was, you, it was you. back in the nineties. Yes, I had it. Um, so I just want to be a part of that. And I want to be with those people who are doing that thing or, uh, you know, on that mission that they're on. Um, so I have to be like, I'm so going to support you from the sidelines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and be okay with that. Yeah. Was staying, uh, continuing to work even, um, with having kids, was that just always going to happen from the get-go or was that something, mm. a decision that you struggled with? It's been a lot of back and forth. So this is the most important wisdom that we have learned over these years is the concept of a season. So when we, we were having our first child and I was thinking about, am I going to work or am I not? Um, I got some great wisdom from some women colleagues who are older than me who were like, you know, just think about it six months at a time. And that's so proved to be true, um, especially with little kids. Like you just don't know. Um, you don't know when you're pregnant, if your child's going to be born with a special need. You don't know if you're going to suddenly see this baby and fall in love and be like, I only want to do this. Or if you're going to be like, this is great, but this makes me crazy. So I need to have a little bit of my own space. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and those are, those are emotional things that you just cannot predict. And so you have to just take it like six months at a time. Um, which was really hard for me because I want to plan out everything and I want to know where we're going. But that was very freeing to know that we can't plan that far ahead. We don't know what turns life's going to take and just to be open-handed about it. Um, so I had assumed that I would go back to work in some capacity. And um, what I did is took a nice long maternity leave. I took like five months off the first time and 10 months the second time because I had a really hard baby. Um, and so I took my time and then I really thought through and prayed through, like, am I ready to go back? And what would that look like? I had awesome accommodating employers at each turn, um, who allowed me the space to kind of reconstruct a role that gave me some flexibility. Um, but that's part of the decision, right? It's not just work or not. It's like, do what work? Right. So ultimately, even though my employer with, with both kids, when I had them, um, was very flexible, ultimately it was hard to do that job well. And I felt the impact on my colleagues um, who were picking up for me when I was like, oh, I can't travel. Can you take this one? Mm -hmm. um, or like, hey, I've got to go deal with a sick kid. Can you fill in here? Mm. It was a role that was hard to do that in. It was a very client-facing role and it did involve a lot of travel. And I said, I, I'm not in a season right now where I can do this well. And I, so I stopped working um, when our, our second child was two. So I had a five-year-old and a two-year-old and I was like, the chaos is too much. Mm -hmm. Um, at that time, Christian was traveling really heavily as well and internationally. And when I would go on a trip, I would write out a four page list of logistics. And I was like, FedEx isn't this complicated. Like, this is too much. <laughs> We're just going to have to press pause. Like I've got to stop for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was a great time. And I took off almost two years. Um, I did a little bit of pro bono stuff on the side, which was actually awesome and fun. And I forgot that that was something that, you know, it, that is a thing that is a, a work, a job mm -hmm. um, that I enjoyed. And, and then <clears throat> slowly worked my way back into this role at Barna that was um, just a little different, a little more flexible. And then with each progressive six months, your kids are that much older mm -hmm. and they're that much more independent and your resources to, to kind of help them grow well um, are different. And so now I'm in a place where, you know, they are really independent. In fact, we just moved into a house down the street, but it's across the street from our kids' school. Knowing that, you know, our daughter's in middle school, our son's not far behind, like pretty soon they can just walk to him from school and they're good. We have cameras in the house, like yeah. they're on their own um, and they can do that. And that gives us a little more freedom. Um, it, the nature of our role with them changes right. from managing them to supporting them. Now you mentioned something about traveling and I mean, both of you at different seasons have had high travel portions of your work, right? And I'm guessing with Christian, 
I mean, you work for a travel company, right? I don't know if that's how you name it that or whatever, but it's you, you manage hotels. Um, do you guys have any tips on or advice you'd give to other people if they're in a, in a committed relationship and man, one person is traveling a lot. What, what kind of rhythms have you guys figured out, um, for your family or how, how to manage all that? Yeah. Christian, you should tell what you learned when we first got married <laughs> about reconnecting. Oh, why did you say that part? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. I'll let you, I'll let you tell the rest, but, um, we did learn in the first year of marriage, even though we had dated long distance, that when someone's gone for a long period of time and the other person's been at home and the person comes back home and expects things to just like jump right back in the way they were when they left them, you can't do that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you have to get to know each other again. Mm. That takes a little time. You can't just pick right back up like you're in and out of this time warp. So you've got to take the time to reconnect. And that's, that's been important. Mm. But what else? So she, would, she would call it weaving before cleaving. So that's... There's a, there's a reconnection period, um, which we try to get more and more efficient, but sometimes it can take a while. Um, <laughs> we try so, to get more efficient. I love that. We, I, I see the contrast so, of perspectives in that. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So Friday nights, you know, can, can have very different flavors. Um, <laughs> I think uh, with, our, with Brooke and I and then our kids, we actually tell them they love to know what the plan is. And more importantly, the why. So when Brooke goes on a trip, I, I tell them, you know, mom's going on an important trip because she's helping a lot of people with this ministry, or she's helping a church do the following or she, you know, whatever. Or I say, I'm going to go see my friends who work in London and we're going to be working on, you know, a partnership, or we're going to be working on something that's going to help lots of people. Um, and so, so a little bit about the why, uh, and, and the fact that, it's a great thing, but it equally, I don't minimize the fact that I really would love to be here tomorrow night for dinner, but I've got to go on a trip, but I'll be back on Wednesday night. and I can't wait to see you then. And so our kids have been very good about, Oh, okay, that makes sense. They travel is a part of our DNA and we travel a lot with them. So they know what it's like to get on an airplane, go for a nice dinner, stay in a hotel, you know, see different places. And so I think they can truly visualize what that looks like. Um, personally, I have a bunch of rules about traveling, like, um, I never go to the bar by myself. I never have, um, anybody of the other gender in my room ever. Um, I'm very thoughtful about kind of where I spend my time. Um, thoughtful about, you know, um, content. There's just things that you just do to make sure that, um, when you're traveling, um, and there's less accountability, uh, you're guarding against that. Um, I also tend to text with Brooke a lot. It's funny. I text her more than she texts me. Um, when she travels, she's gone. Um, and that's because she's very intense and focused on what it is, but I try to at least almost let her know what, what's going on. Like just, you know, snippets a couple times a day, you know? Um, and it just, it maintains a little bit of a connection, not the where were you and what happened? You know, you can kind of, you start, you start weaving early. Uh, there you go. That's probably the underlying driver there. There it is. Um, well, let's switch gears just a little bit here. Brooke, you uh, decided to partner with us on a very fun research project for this whole project that we're doing right now. Why did you uh, partner with us? Why did Barna say this was something that they wanted to do with us? We've been just tracking uh, the millennial generation um, and knowing that young adults and even you know teens are very much focused on what is my purpose, my calling in life, um, what what are my passions, what do I what do I want to do with my life? So it's it's no longer about like you know I just have my life and then I have my job and everything's all compartmentalized. Like it's it's very integrated, and so in that um, in the nature of that, it's a very personal decision or personal. Um, idea of what my passions are, right? And, and that's something that we grow and develop over our, our young adult lives. Um, but it's individual. So when you know you're a young adult and you're now in a relationship, um, you've got two individual people with their individual passions and and callings and life pursuits. Um, how do you navigate that well? How do you uh, both invest in a good relationship, a strong relationship? And also pursue those things that are on your heart, those passions, mm -hmm. um, those callings. And so, you know, we've seen the intersection of that showing up in some of the research that we do. And we really were excited to hear you dig into what happens when those two things collide. Uh, what was one thing that really 
we're, we're you know we're not going to give away everything yet. Not yet, because <laughs> there is lots coming in a book. But we do. Uh, I would love for you to share maybe one thing that was really surprising to you about the research. Um, I don't know if it's entirely surprising, but it was just the magnitude of it was um, pretty compelling. Was how exhausted people are, mm-hmm. um, especially if they've got young kids, um, and especially women. So we, you know, we hear this and we see it in other studies, but you know, we really saw it here where we drilled down on people's specific. Um, activities, which is women just take on everything. Like they layer on family on top of their existing roles. So is that something that you felt in, uh, Mm. with you guys in your marriage and what is something that you learned or have learned in that sense of like how that could change for people or how things could be different for women, I guess, if it's majority women feeling this. Yeah. Um, so a number of things, I mean, yes, I definitely have felt it. Um, and part of that's my personality because I just take on a lot and I love to be a helper. And part of that is, is just the nature of dynamics of, you know, a man and a woman in a relationship together. Like there are certain presumptions, even if you're not making them that people around you are making about how you spend your time. And so, um, one of the things that I wanted to, you know, be able to address when I saw that first was like, Hey, it's okay. Like know that there's certain seasons in your life where you are going to be exhausted and you are going to need to cut back. Whatever it is you're involved in, you're going to need to cut back. Um, Because there's times when, you know, being a parent and being a spouse is going to require a big investment. Um, And so you just need to be ready for that and, and know that like, it doesn't mean you stop everything. It doesn't mean you drop your passions. It doesn't mean, you know, you, you give up. It means, no, I'm taking a breather. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on this other thing for a while and then I'm gonna be able to shift again in the future. And then the other part of it is really just to encourage spouses to have these conversations. There's no right answer. Um, you know, every person is is gifted with unique talents and unique um concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, not everything and not everyone has the same passion for a clean kitchen counter that I have, and I have to appreciate that. <laughs> um <laughs> But also, you know, it's a conversation. Like it's both parties need to respect, uh, to acknowledge and, and see and respect the stressors that are in each other's lives and then to figure out how do we navigate this together. And I think when you do that, you can't prescribe any sort of outcome. But when you do that, you're going to come to a healthy place because even just in the conversation, you're growing together. Mm, like the no prescribing. Mm-hmm. I say that a lot. <laughs> and then Jeff Schoenberger <laughs> tries to come up with some... Three point. So I understand that we don't need to prescribe something, but if someone was looking, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is what he does. <laughs> uh, Christian, I'm curious. I mean, you have, I don't know how many people you lead, but you have a huge team in, in your organization. I'm guessing a lot of this tension you're seeing in the lives of people that you lead. And I'm curious how that's played out for you. Like when you when you see the exhaustion on people in your team, um, wrestling with the tension of love and work. And I mean, what can you do as a leader um, to invest in your team or how do you um, advise people or encourage them? Wh- where do you sit in the midst of that in your work? Well, I would say kind of probably as a couple, you know, our goal can be summarized up something like making a difference in our culture and for God's kingdom using the gifts God's given us. So, so for me, I feel called to work, uh, to the workplace. Um, I love what I do. But my mission is to help to help people thrive, um, and the thriving happens through the relationship I have with them at work, whether they report to me or they're my peers or even my boss. And so, if you're if if for me the the person is the end, not the means. And so, if my goal is to say, um, you know, inherently you are valuable, you have identity, you are you are good at certain things. And, um, and growth is inherent. We want you to grow and to thrive. How do we best enable that to happen? How can I do that as a leader, as a servant leader, uh, and as a boss? And so being able to uh, find an individual, uh, assess who they are, what motivates them, get them in the right role, um, give them clear instructions, um, in some places giving them area where there's no instructions, you just got to figure it out, giving them the resources to do it, a culture to support them, um, and then, uh, and then providing that, that motivation to go, then they're growing, then they're thriving. Um, 
And I feel that that stewardship, if they're doing well in the areas that I can influence, which is work, guess what? They're going to take that at home. So if they're doing well at work, they come home to their spouse or family like, wow, I mean, I worked really hard today, but it was great. We're doing this and we're doing that. And I'm so excited and I feel supported. Like there's a thriving there. The inverse is true. You know, if somebody's in the wrong role and they're not and or, you know, they're they're struggling or I'm giving them a hard time, um, doesn't mean you shy away from not giving them honest feedback. Because I think that's actually very caring and loving to give them honest, balanced feedback. Um, but they're going to take the stress out on their spouse and they're going to take it out on their kids. And so for me, if people are the ends, not the means, uh, the dividend of that is revenue growth, innovation, collaboration, um, and performance. And so it's very much going to drive the business, but I'm not using people explicitly for that goal, if that makes sense. Um, And that becomes not just an individual, but then how do you build a team where the chemistry on the team enables that for each other? Uh, And if you can build high-performing teams with that sort of philosophy, I find you can have a massive impact on the individuals and the team, uh, on the business. Um, And when you're creating real net value, um, that I think is what I feel called to do. Um, It's how you make the world better, uh, is to create value for all of your stakeholders. It's not only financial value. And so that's kind of my summary philosophy of how I think about coming to work every day. Very professional. (laughs) Andre's like, I don't understand this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's just not my world. No, it's not your world. (laughs) But I like it. I like it. I I appreciate the the concept of like. Every business person is going to be like, yes, nodding their head while I'm like, (laughs) what is happening? We're like, um, if, if you're going home finding purpose in your work, uh, energized, thriving in your work, the reality is it's going to transfer into your relationships at home. That's going to be the, yeah. if there's frustration, right. it's going to be frustrating at home too, right? Vice versa. And and likewise, I mean, there's a lot of research on this, that the number one predictor of job satisfaction is whether or not you have a good boss, right? And so I think Christian like is so aware of that and mm. he wants people to have, to, to have enjoyment at their work and not, like you said, not take it home. Um, so how do you, you know, how do you just be that good boss that right. people like have a great experience with no matter where they are and what they're doing? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so you guys have been married for 20 years, which by the way, I'm hang out. You guys must've had a great celebration for 20 years. What did you do for your 20 year anniversary celebration? We, we, uh, had a two week trip to South Africa, just the two of us. The kids were at what? camp. Nice. And we we lived well, uh, and we went on safari for six days, Cape Town for four days, and the key insight was zero responsibility for two weeks. <laughs> Just the sheer enjoyment and pleasure of each other's company in a beautiful place in the world with all of the accommodations to, to make us uh, certainly comfortable, and um, it was a very special trip. That's awesome. Well, like 20 years, I mean, we, it's unusual to meet people that have been married for 20 years, honestly, like that's not common. Um, what do you guys think? What's made it last for you? What, how have you made it these, these, this second decade? Ah, well, um, honestly, just like, it's not a decision or it's not a, it's not an option. Like we, we've got married. So we made a decision that this is what we're going to do. Um, I can't, I can't, change my relationship with my parents. I can't change my relationship with my brothers and sisters. Like, likewise, like we are totally committed to each other. Um, that's what we said we were going to do. And so we are interwoven already. Like that's, that's what's so important to me. Um, I am no longer the same person I was when we got married. Like if, when I think about our marriage and the strength of it, um, you do get, you, you are changed. You, you do shift to be more like your spouse and and more like, uh, or, or just grow in those experiences you have together so that you are no longer the same person you were when you started. And that's a good thing. You're supposed to change. Um, so how can you not be together? Because we've literally, you know, two people and we kind of grew together and we're, our, our lives are so woven. Um, of course there's bumps, but we're woven together because we've grown into each other. Uh, if you think of like, you know, if you have like two trees that get planted too close together, they can actually grow together and fuse together. Like that's us. Um, so you, you can't tear that apart. And, you know, our faith is a key part of our relationship. It's where we go for wisdom and, um, where we seek our, our 
constant source of energy. Um, and it's where our commitment comes from. Right. And so there, like, I can't even imagine how you would pull that, that apart. Like there's, if anything, the trials we face draw us closer. Like that, that is exactly the support I need when we're facing challenges is, is my partner in this. Right. So we've grown closer through every challenge. Um, and, and the tough stuff is what makes you stronger. Yeah. I would build on that. Um, it's a word that's not used much anymore, but if it's the concept of a covenant and a covenant is a hundred percent commitment or dedication with no expectation of reciprocity. That's my really professional again. But the idea is I need to keep up my end of the bargain regardless. It's not quid pro quo. It's not 50-50. It's 100% and that's all I can do. So, and I know what Brooke's, you know, needs are. I know what her love language is. Um, I know what um, I need to do to be a good husband, to be a good partner, to lead our family. Um, and, and what I've learned is if I stop setting expectations with myself, um, and just like take care and focus on her, um, it actually makes things easier. Um, is it always enjoyable? Maybe, maybe not, um, in the short term, but the, but the equivalent or the, the other side is also the case. She is covenanted to me. Um, and so she will take care of me on times when I'm not living up to my end of the bargain, but all of a sudden it, it doesn't become a negotiation anymore. It's like, well, she wasn't nice to me last week. So watch this. I'm now going to pull back. You could see that just becomes an arms race to nowhere as opposed to, well, I'm pulling back, but look, she is still giving me the attention, the support, the grace. Um, it wins you back. Um, and if you're mutually always winning each other back through selflessness um, and sacrifice, that's the formula that has proven to be so successful. Um, now, the, but, and the magic is, of course, is when you are constantly doing it for each other, um, that's when you just grow even closer, even more dependent, and even more willing to sacrifice, and it becomes a virtuous cycle um, instead of a instead of a, a negative downward spiral. So, our last question that we're asking everybody we interview is: Is it possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? I think it is if we have the right perspective on what it means to change the world. Um, you can change the world simply by raising one child who is going to also be a positive contributor to society, right? So we have to define what that is and what we're setting our sights on because sometimes we set our sights really big and the reality is, and this is one of those humbling lessons I've learned as a parent, um, gosh, if I just raise my kids really well, if I really feed into them and develop them well, they're already making a difference. And so that is not to be discounted. So as much as I have my own personal passions that I want to pursue, I do not want to fall short of investing in my family um, for their growth because they are contributing to the world. So I think that's the main thing is just having the right perspective on what that aspiration is and why. I would say... It's not only not possible, but it's, um, it's inevitable. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, and I'm going to play on the words a little bit, but you are going to impact the world regardless, right? Just by being here and engaging with society. Uh, and so that's a given. Now, you may not change it for good, but you're going to change the world in some way. Your impact will be felt. Um, you will stay in love with the item or the object you choose to love. You will always love something. So you have to focus it on the object that you've, in my case, covenanted to, committed to? Um, and then are you going to have a healthy family? Uh, that's the, the one where um, if you define health uh, as one where your values are, are expressed and are flourishing, where they're kind of coming to be beyond yourself, then yes, your family will be in that definition healthy because it's a reflection on you. So it's hard to have a healthy family and an unhealthy individual. Conversely, if I'm healthy and my family's not, um, you know, something's happened along the way. And I'm not saying things are perfect by any means. You can have a very strong marriage and one of our children could go through incredible trials that will be very painful for us. But it's our ability to, to um, navigate through that is where the health is. So, so instead of a binary question, yes, no, it's more how do you orient your loves? 
how do you orient the definition of healthy family and how do you orient your impact to the world um, in a way that is coherent and integrated um, and aligned with what I think is your core identity, like who you believe you are, how strong you are in your identity um, will likely be the, the thing that will um, undergird all of your relationships, including your marriage and including how you engage with the workplace. And now it's time for the breakdown. What'd you think about that one? Yeah, that was better. I it felt like I was putting all my energy towards I've, that. Yeah, <laughs> you really did. You put all Don't the you energy. edit me. Don't you edit me out of this. Yeah, you're a great breaker. <laughs> downer. Breaker downer. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what did you learn today in the breakdown that you yeah. want to share about? Oh, yeah. I'm going to start, actually. I'm ready. Are you, you ready? Go. You go first. I love um, coming back from travel, how they were talking about the importance of kind of reintegrating um, when you get back. That you're not, uh, it, it's, it won't be the same right when you get back. Right. That was definitely a lesson we had to learn. I'm sure many people have learned that the hard way. But I think when you just automatically accept that as a norm and give yourselves a buffer zone kind of of a couple days, I think... That is a couple days. Yes. You need a buffer. Uh, it I just, think... I'm saying it just doesn't fling back to normal, like just magically go back to normal immediately. So buffer that a couple days and accept that it's going to take a few days to get back to how it felt before. That seems like a long time. Well, when you're only thinking about sex, then yes, that seems like a long time. I'm talking about emotionally. I never said that in I'm any talking way. about nobody said that. You're jumping to conclusions, putting words in all the people's mouths, but but you're all thinking it. But I do think when we come back, I, here's what I would say on the topic. She's right. When I come back from travel, when you come back from travel, it does take time for us to reconnect and mm-hmm. reconnect honestly in an emotional way. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm giving the emotional part about it. Yeah. Thank you. All right. I really liked just the idea that they were saying like how my yes will affect the whole family. Oh, yeah. And that, you know, what else has to give to make that yes work? And so for all of you listening today that are big yes people... Um, I think that was a really great advice because there has to be a sacrifice with that. Yes. We just can't keep building yeses after yeses and that too many good things that you're saying yes to will turn bad. Mm. So too many goods will eventually equal a problem. Yeah. He said too many good things are bad. Yeah. And then also, then that creates like if there's no margin or buffer, then you're just stuck in this really like a pit that you've just dug that now you have no buffer to like help get you out of that mm. hole, you know, because mm. you're so busy, so spread out, so stressed that there isn't a, a space to breathe or, or to figure the next step out. Yeah. What'd you think of the concentric circles concept? Did you get it? <laughs> I do get it. I mean, I, I, I do. Like, I think I, I, you know, I remember the first time he explained it. Maybe it was a little different than how he explained it today. But this idea that like it's easier to be friends with a family when I'm explaining it my way. It's easier to be friends with a family when um, I get along with the husband and you get along with the wife and our kids are the same age and our kids go to school with them and yes, it, and our kids yes. are dancing them or whatever, you know, like, and I'm going to push back. Oh, I'm going to push back on what you're saying is that then you become, Hang on, just go with it. Just, I'm not, I yeah, am not going okay, with go it. For it. Well, then you, what I, I struggle with that when you're saying everything, because then it seems like everything is just, looks like you, talks like you, in Mm. the same social circle, same social dynamic, you know, all your friends then are married with kids. 
And I, I don't believe that. I think that there is value in being in relationship with people that are very different than you. Mm. And that's not easy to do. And if you only put that in your circles and only allow that to be your circle, you know, space, then you're missing out. Well, so the the question is, is it easier? And the answer is probably yes. Very easy. Is it better? Maybe no. Right. I mean, the diversity in your community is very valuable. Mm-hmm. I think it's very valuable in our community. Yeah, definitely. And for me, it stretches me and grows me. And it's, you know, seeing world from a different point of view and not just married with children point of view. Hmm. It's one way to see the world that's not necessarily the reality of how all people feel. Yeah. It reminds me of these conversations we have with people that don't have kids. And it's like, uh, what time are you getting together? I don't know. I mean, whatever. It's like, I got to get a babysitter. (laughs) There's logistical things in that that I think start to emerge um, when when you're contrasting communities and both are educated in new ways, in a good way, I think. Yeah. And I think it can cross lots of things. Like we're not just talking about kids or no kids. We're not just talking about um, married or not married, but you can talk about race. You can talk about... um, economic, you know, demographics, financial demographics being different. You can talk about uh, sexual identities being different. I think it just expounds your worldview. Now, listen, one of the big things that we haven't talked about in the breakdown, though, is the data point that she shared about how surprised she was about exhaustion, specifically for women. (laughs) I think it's funny that um, we're surprised yet. Every single woman listening to this is like, oh, I'm exhausted. Yes, I'm so tired. (laughs) So I think it's funny that we're surprised, but yet everybody feels so tired. Well, we have data on it now. We do. And I can't wait to share the rest of the research with everyone, but we can't (laughs) do it today. Uh Uh-oh, gonna have to read the book. Just one little nugget. We just gave them one little nugget and they're just gonna, everybody wants more. Everybody wants more. What else did you find out, Andre? Wait, we can't tell you. What else did you find out, Brooke? Wait, we can't tell you. Coming soon. Coming soon. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. This is another episode of Love or Work. This episode was produced by DJ Obdiggy for Soul Graffiti Productions. 